episode five of Vixen, a Black beauty and pop culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is on Doreen Stern, the first Black cover girl in Playboy magazine. Now, let's start the show. So before we get into the meat of today's episode, I wanted to do a little Black history moment. So in 1916, the Chicago Defender, a very famous African-American newspaper, ran a story about Black Southerners who found success in larger cities. They added in resources for newcomers and gave advice on how to best transition into large cities. Naturally, Chicago was one of the main cities experiencing an influx of Black Southern residents with nearly 75,000 people moving in over the course of three years. This national move to big cities was called the Great Migration, and it was happening all over the country. Um, Millions of people moved for better financial opportunities and to escape racial tension. So a lot of people moved to Chicago between 1916 and 1930, but even more people moved there between 1940 and 1960. And this was because of the collapse of sharecropping in the South and um, the influx of industrial work during World War II. So sharecropping had kind of died out. People weren't doing that anymore, but industrial work was really, really popping during the war. So a lot of people were moving north um, in order to be a part of that. So if you're African-American, your family actually might have been a part of this. And it's all very interesting because it's typically region regional, as in Southerners typically move to like the largest, closest city. They just go north, right? So I grew up in D.C. with five generations before me um, being born in D.C. But those before them came up to the area from North and South Carolina, which is just two or three states down from D.C. So it's like really a straight shot um, from North and South Carolina to D.C. You just go straight up. You don't go west. You don't go east. You just go straight up. And I know that this is typical in other places, too. Like a lot of people who moved to like L.A. and Chicago at this time, they were coming from Mississippi, Kentucky, Alabama, because that's kind of like a straight shot. Um, people moved from um, Louisiana to Detroit, things like that, you know, like people who were like in the southwestern side of the south kind of went to like California, Chicago, all those places. And then people who were like southeast kind of moved to um, D.C., New York City, things like that. So, yeah, I love regional history. But anyway, let's get into the story. So Doreen Stern's family was a part of the Great Migration and they moved to Chicago at some point in the 1940s. Doreen was born in Chicago, actually, on November 16, 1947, in the Black Belt. And that is an area on the south side of Chicago from about 12th to 79th Street, um, in between Wentworth and Cottage Grove Avenue. So Black people were pretty much restricted to this area, and white Chicago residents were developing something called restrictive combinants, which are basically, they're a contract that says that the owner of a house cannot rent or sell to Black people. Because Black people were restricted to this one area, and with the Great Migration still going on, like every day there's an influx of people moving to Chicago, there was a lot of overcrowding happening, and a lot of large families lived in very, very small homes or apartments. So Doreen's mother was a single mother, um, and she had multiple children, and she did marry often, which had the Stern family bouncing around Chicago a lot. Even though there wasn't a lot of stability in her life, Doreen's mother worked very, very hard to support her family. 
She was a credit officer for a department store at first, and then she left due to racial discrimination, which, you know, was like unheard of at this time. Then she started working as a truancy officer for the Chicago public school system. When Doreen was about 14 years old, the family moved to the west side of Chicago and the kids started to attend Marshall Metropolitan High School. The Stern siblings were really, really close. Doreen was her older sister's shadow. Um, Sheila, that sister, said, Doreen just wanted to be with me and my friends. Sometimes I wanted that and sometimes I wanted her to get her own friends. Doreen's brothers were often bullied in school, but when the bullies found out that Doreen was their sister, they wanted to be friends with the brothers. So Doreen was one of those girls that was just strikingly beautiful, but she never let it get to her head. Um, But she did become known around the school for her beauty. She was prom queen at junior prom. Um, and she just was really popular. She was very, very focused on becoming a teacher. And she grad- after she graduated, she went straight to Chicago State University. So at this point, we're in the early 1960s. And this is when Doreen is starting college. Playboy magazine was making a really, really huge splash, expanding from a magazine into a really large brand. So Playboy was the leading men's publication in the country. And they were known for their really smart, insightful articles. So naturally, they decided to expand into social clubs to appeal to men who were, quote unquote, like them, you know, smart, intelligent, you know, well off, whatever, progressive. So therefore, the Playboy Club was born. The Chicago Playboy Club, the very first one, opened on Walton Street in the Gold Coast section of Chicago on February 29th, 1960. You had to be a member of the club or come with a member of the club to even come inside. Members were called key holders, and they would be served cocktails, cigarettes, and food by Playboy bunnies in the iconic uniform we all know and love. Uh, There were very strict rules about being a bunny, and they were enforced by bunny mothers or house moms. If you want more information on the history of Playboy, definitely go back and listen to the first episode of Vixen, season one, episode one, on Jennifer Jackson, because I go way more in depth um, about the history of the Playboy Club, and it gives you a lot of insight on what it was like to be a Playboy bunny. So if you're interested in that, definitely go listen to that episode. Doreen started working at the Playboy Club a few years after it opened, and I wonder if she was there at the same time as Jennifer Jackson, because I think their timelines kind of overlap in the club. Um, I think that I said that in an older episode that Doreen was in the magazine first and then worked at the club, but it's the opposite. So Jennifer Jackson's story is the same. She was also a Playboy bunny first and then was in the magazine. And they seem to have worked around the same time. So I I wonder if they knew each other because they have a lot in common. But anyway, Doreen was a huge hit instantly. She was very, very popular with a lot of the club's famous clientele, including Bill Cosby. Um, One day while she was working, she met David Ray, a very, very respected dentist in Chicago, and he came from a really well-to-do family. Uh, His father was a scientist who worked alongside Watson and Crick, and that's who discovered, like, the human genome. So his dad was a pretty big deal, Um, and his mother was a teacher and nutritionist. So Doreen's family was very, very happy about this, um, as most families are when they find out their daughter quote unquote, marries well, especially when the person is like a dentist or a doctor. Y'all know black families, they love that. Um, So Sheila, Doreen's sister said, I think what my mother thought was once she does the modeling, she would still be married as a fallback. You need a fallback position and mom wanted that security for her. The couple married in 1970 and honeymooned afterwards in Jamaica. They seemed really, really happy. I mean, Doreen settled very well into her role as a wife. Um, She became a really devoted stepmother to David's son, David Jr., who was six years old at this time. 
Um, and Doreen left the Playboy Club and started to work various jobs in advertising, hostessing, and she also worked at a bank at one point. So one day while she was working at the bank, a man who claimed to be a photographer complimented her and said, you know, would you ever want to do a photo shoot? And she's like, oh, I guess, you know, doing it for fun. And they decide to do the shoot. So at this time, a lot of people would do their own independent photo shoots and like send them into Playboy in hopes of being casted. Um, they were either aspiring photographers or, you know, people who just wanted their work published, or they just knew a pretty girl that they thought could blow up and they wanted to be the first to discover her. This is basically, um, how Dorothy Stratton, who is a fellow playmate with a very, very tragic story, uh, was first discovered by the magazine. Um, so someone took photos of her and sent them in and that's how Playboy found her. Dorothy Stratton actually became like a very, very famous playmate. Um, her story is really sad, but yeah. Uh, so this also happened with Doreen. The person who took the photos of Doreen sent the final product into Playboy and the photos got their attention immediately, but they decided to share, um, they decided to save Doreen for a later issue. They actually shot two other women who happened to be white for their October cover, but then decided after the shoot that they didn't like the photos and decided, you know, okay, we're going to go with Doreen. So they called her in for a shoot and that was pretty much it. I'm sure you guys have seen the iconic photo of Doreen. If you have not, Google it. Um, I'm definitely going to post it on my Instagram in promotion for this episode. So you, you'll probably see it on Instagram. But if not, definitely Google it. So during the photo shoot, the bunny seat that Doreen was sitting on was designed right there. Like they made that seat right there um, in front of a black background so that it would contrast really nicely with her skin and hair. They really killed this shoot. So they oiled her body up and they put a very, very large Afro wig on her. Um, and this was really, really something because other magazines at the time were really struggling with how to properly uh, light and photograph darker skin. And, um, you know, her images came out so good and so well lit. People loved it. So it really like kind of changed the tone for how to shoot black models. Uh, Playboy wanted Doreen to be on the cover. Um, but they ended up having another woman pose for the centerfold section. Usually you're on the cover, you're in the centerfold section, but they just wanted to use that amazing image of Doreen for their cover because, I mean, it was so striking. So um, although two black women, Jennifer Jackson and Jean Bell, both appeared in the magazine before Doreen, it was still a very new concept of black women appearing in such a white magazine. Um, and she was the first one to be on the cover and not just in the pages. So Jennifer Jackson and Jean Bell as well, I believe they were just centerfolds in the magazine. But, you know, Doreen had her full cover. So wanted to make sure I made that distinction. So her issue was released in October 1971 with 6 million copies in print. So it was a very, very popular cover for Playboy. So unlike Jennifer, Doreen was not ashamed of being a Playmate at all. But she did want to avoid like too much criticism. So she would tell people that she was wearing a nude swimsuit on the cover instead of actually being naked. She was naked, y'all, by the way. Um, she was mindful of her family and didn't want to disappoint them. Um, and they were very happy that she was in the centerfold. They were happy she was on the magazine, but like they didn't want her to be in that centerfold section anyway, being full nude. So I think they were happy with that. Other than that, she was pretty proud of being a playmate. After the issue was released, the modeling offers were coming in for Doreen, okay? She got signed by Ford Models, Ellen Hart, Shirley Hamilton, and Nina Blanchard. So she mainly did print work. Um, she appeared on the cover of Essence, Chicago Times, and she did some other work for Ultra Sheen and Virginia Slim. She didn't really have like a big runway career, 
Um, she was definitely like a print model, all-American type model. So as Doreen becomes more successful and in demand, her marriage started to become a little strange. So remember, Ray, her husband, is a dentist, so he had a really busy schedule. He would work at a public clinic during the day and then a private one at night. And Doreen was being booked all over the place for modeling gigs, so they never really like saw each other or spent more time together. So they decided to divorce. They kind of like came to an agreement. It was like, you know, we need to, you know, just divorce. It's not working. So Doreen decides to move to New York after her divorce and pour herself into the world of fashion and focusing on her career. So the New York world was a lot more cutthroat than the Chicago modeling scene that Doreen was used to. I mean, obviously there's a larger market in New York than in Chicago, so there's way more models um, and a lot of more people trying to get put on. So similar to the Bond Girl curse in the Black Bond Girls episode I did last season, some people would even argue that there's a Playboy curse, even though there are a lot more successful Playmates than there are Bond girls. But I mean, some Playmates do say it was hard for them to get legitimate modeling gigs after they did Playboy. So I can kind of imagine that that would be extra complicated if you were Black on top of that. So I mean, the modeling industry does have a history of being really judgy, probably more judgy than the acting world. Um, and this actually reminded me of a Fader article from a few years back where uh, they interviewed one of my favorite Instagram models, Lyra Galore. Uh, the article is called The Black Barbies of Instagram. I'll try to link it in my show notes. It's really good. They also interview uh, the Claremont twins in it as well. Here is a quote from Lyra from that article. Galore believes that the distinction between regular models and Instagram models is class-based and reaffirmed by delusions of superiority. For her, there's no separation. She says, modeling is modeling. I think it's stupid to try and separate ourselves because we might use Instagram exclusively. Instagram is the avenue we have, she told me, refuting the label but aware of the platform's power. Other models use it to promote themselves and their brands. Why can't we? End quote. Even though Lyra is talking about Instagram in this quote and the Instagram model label here specifically, I think it's relatable because that's the same struggle that a lot of Playboy affiliates face. I mean, Instagram models and Playmates actually have a lot in common because they both kind of use sexuality to get on, right? Like Instagram modeling as a label or culture or whatever is typically very, very sexy, right? It's a lot of bikinis. It's a lot of tight fashion Nova jeans. We know it, right? Um, there might be some nudity, I guess, thrown in there. You can't really post nudity on Instagram, but like, you guys know what I mean, right? Both Playmates and Instagram models um, kind of use their bodies and sex, you know, for modeling. And I think the modeling world is just so old and judgmental sometimes, <laughs> you know, like they want to steer away from that. So, you know, I definitely think that there was a lot of that going on with um, Doreen as well. She like wasn't being taken seriously. She couldn't really get anything other than print work. Um, and it was really hard for her to break that mold. Doreen also found that Beverly Johnson was a large reason that she lost um, out on certain gigs. But not intentionally. It's not that Beverly Johnson was like, you know, conspiring behind the scenes against Doreen. It's just that Beverly Johnson was like the hot it black girl. You know, when someone's black, there can only be one at a time with these white industries. So a lot of black models do reference this as the reason that they fizzled out a bit. I'll have to do more research on like the Beverly Johnson effect. Um, I will be doing an episode on her soon, though. So we will get into it then. But Doreen's stepson, David Jr. said, I remember her always feeling a bit of competition with Beverly Johnson, but not out of spite. 
She was the first black model to really break through the old guard. She would have conversations with my dad about how Beverly Johnson would get certain jobs and she was trying to get the same job. So there was that going on as well. You know, people are like, I mean, Beverly Johnson had like this really commercial look. Um, she was also high fashion, but like, I mean, she was just the, that girl at that time. So I can see how it could be hard for other black models. We talked about that in the uh, Danielle Luna episode from last season as well. The modeling industry already didn't have a lot of opportunities for black models. And then with Beverly Johnson's popularity, they really, really wanted someone who looked like Beverly Johnson and had like that fresh face, like kind of look. And Doreen just felt like she didn't fit into that. She often said, you know, she felt like she was either too black or not black enough. Um, and it just wasn't working for her. So Doreen then decides to move to LA, but she just was not into Hollywood at all. She didn't want to transition into acting. She didn't want to transition into music. And that was what a lot of uh, former playmates did. So LA just wasn't really for her. Uh, feeling disenchanted, she decides to split her time between New York and Europe. Many, many black models were finding major success at this time in Europe. So if you listen to my Danielle Luna episode last season, we talked about this and how Danielle found more success and like versatility of gigs, both runway and print. When she moved to London, I believe she went, definitely the UK. Doreen found more success there, but she was still a little bit overshadowed by other black models who had decided to do the same thing. So Doreen decided to move back to Chicago and work in the fashion industry in a different way. She worked as a fashion director at Burrell, which is an advertising agency. She also started an image consulting business and worked with Lena Horne, Aretha Franklin, and Michael Jordan. Then she created the Doreen Stern Agency, and she booked shoots with Sears, Canadian Mist, Kellogg's, and Ford. In the late 1980s, Doreen actually did get into acting. Um, she moved to Martha's Vineyard and assisted on a production of For Colored Girls, and she acted in a soap opera pilot that didn't end up airing. So Doreen's career was starting to look up and I felt like she kind of pivoted very well from the modeling industry into doing something else. But she started to become very worried about the way she looked as she aged. So at this point, she's in her 40s and she would often play around with the idea of getting plastic surgery. And she asked people a lot like how she looked for her age and what they thought about her looks. Um, from what we know of Doreen, I think it's fair to say that beauty standards were a bit of an issue for her throughout her life. I mean, she was put on a pedestal in high school for being beautiful. Um, then she works for and starts posing for Playboy. And then she gets rejected by the modeling industry for not having the beauty standard of the time. Then she gets older and she wants to stay young and beautiful. So it's like beauty is like a really, really big part of Doreen's story. So I can totally get feeling some kind of way as you get older. So in the journal article, What is Beautiful is Bad, Physical Attractiveness as a Stigma by Ifrat Sileon. I'm going to butcher that name. I'm so sorry. Um, the quote is a long one, So, but here it is. To the extent that the beauty model defines and values the woman through her appearance, it essentially regards her natural, bare, and uncontrolled body as a stigma, as ugliness, something to disguise, to modify, to improve. Thus, the woman is placed in a no-win situation. She is expected to embody a timeless cultural fantasy that is removed from the diverse and changing world of the living. But her special beauty is not really innate, and it takes a lot of effort to maintain. The effort to control the body is evidenced by the proliferation of a weight control culture and, co and cosmetic surgery. The beauty ideology forces the woman into a paradoxical existence without making the paradoxes obvious. 
Thus, whether or not she succeeds in subscribing to the beauty system, controlling her body, and following the fantasy models of beauty it provides, be it the feminine one or the healthy sporty one, she is in a double bind. If she fails, she is powerless and condemned as ugliness. If she succeeds, she is still powerless. So that quote, like, to me just kind of means that Women are just in a lose-lose situation when it comes to our beauty anyway. Like, women are definitely expected to remain, like, timeless and beautiful, like, throughout their entire lives. And I think it really hurts us rather than help us. I think a lot of people like to blame Instagram for unrealistic beauty standards, and they've definitely played a part in it. But this has been happening for a very long time. People want women to constantly be fresh-faced and young and beautiful and, like, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. But they also want women to, like, take care of their households and, like, do all this other stuff, you know. So you kind of lose whether you succumb to it or whether you don't succumb to it. So I feel like that's kind of the unfortunate paradox that Doreen was going through at this time. At the age of 43, Doreen was unfortunately diagnosed with breast cancer. She started to dedicate herself to getting better. She started eating well. She started using holistic medicine. And she was exercising a lot. She also joined a local cancer support group and she tried to get stem cell treatment, but she wasn't responding well enough to the preliminaries. And basically when um, you try to do stem cell, if your body doesn't respond um, at a certain point, they won't let you do the full treatment. And her body unfortunately didn't respond well, so they couldn't do it for her. Uh, From there, an old friend from the Playboy Club put Doreen on a plane back to Chicago for hospice, and many loved ones, including her ex-husband, came to visit her, and she unfortunately passed away on February 5th, 1994. Chicago State University, where Doreen went for a little bit, uh, started the Doreen Stern Memorial Scholarship shortly after, which still exists. Uh, Doreen's sister, Sheila, has kept her memory alive by archiving all of Doreen's headshots, editorials, and all of her writings as well. So, so the October 2009 issue of Playboy paid um, homage to Doreen, but not in a flattering way at all. I was really disappointed to hear about this. So Marge Simpson, yes, Marge from The Simpsons, <laughs> was the cover girl for the 20th anniversary issue in an effort to appeal to the younger generation of men. So basically, Playboy was going through a period where people just like, it, it, it wasn't appealing to the men of the time. Um, It was definitely like kind of an old school kind of magazine, definitely more for your dad, not really for you at this point. So they were uh, experiencing slower magazine sales. So they wanted to try to appeal to young men. So that's why they decided to make Marge Simpson the cover girl. So the October 2009 issue of Playboy is kind of an ode to Doreen, but not in a flattering way at all, in my opinion. So Marge Simpson, yes, from The Simpsons, was the cover girl for the 20th anniversary issue. And this was an effort by Playboy to appeal to a younger generation of men. So at this point, Playboy was kind of known as like your dad or your grandpa's favorite magazine. It was not known as like something that younger men liked. They were kind of having a little bit of an identity crisis. The magazine wasn't selling well and it just didn't translate well um, throughout the year. So they did this as, as an effort to try to get younger men to like the magazine and purchase it. So the quote unquote image of Marge Simpson was a, it was supposed to be an ode to Doreen. It had the same bunny chair, the pose, everything. Asked about this cover by the Associated Press, Playboy had this to say. She looks beautiful. She is a stunning example of the cartoon form. Marilyn Monroe, Madonna, Marge. It's a fun continuity. 
So my question is this. How is the whole cover an ode to a previous cover, but you don't even include Doreen Stern in a public statement or in the article in the magazine? Like, they didn't mention her at all. Nobody mentions Doreen in this besides the Hollywood Reporter, who barely mentioned her. All they say is, you know, um, this was inspired by a previous uh, cover of a black woman, but they don't even say the name, which would have been a quick Google search. But I mean, I know it was 2009, but still, you know, um, and it's pretty crazy to have your legacy disrespected like that when just four years earlier, the American Society of Magazine Editors listed the cover of Doreen as one of the 40 most important magazine covers of over the past 40 years. Um, I also wanted to add that this cover is one of the most coveted Playboy covers uh, by collectors, and there are a lot of them in rotation. Remember, they printed six million, but everyone wants their own copy to keep. I like to collect magazines that I love. I have a lot of um, buy magazines, like special editions, and a couple of Playboys too. And I've been trying to get my hands on this cover of Doreen, but they always sell out really, really fast. So that just shows you like how um, iconic that cover is. I think that. When you think of a, a black woman on Playboy, everybody thinks about that photo shoot, right? Everyone thinks about that cover. Even if you don't know Doreen Stern's name, you definitely think about that cover. So it's such a shame that like she hasn't really gotten her flowers in the way she deserves um, when you know she was the whole reason for an image that we've all seen before. But things like that are exactly why I started this podcast because I wanted to shed light on these women who have been silenced, forgotten about, or both. It just shows that like our beauty, our labor, our work, our poses, our hair, our everything is just so influential even like 30, 40 years later. So that is why Vixen is here. That is truly why I do this, you know, because of women like Doreen Stern. I'm happy that her sister keeps an archive of all of her images, and I would love to just see more of her. I didn't know she had such an extensive career um, after Playboy. I think she's definitely a major Playboy success story. So RIP to Doreen. And um, yeah, that is Doreen's story, y'all. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. You guys love the Playboy episodes. Um, I'm excited to do a little bit more um, on Playboy and the Black women that were involved in it. So definitely stay tuned and I will see y'all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Vixen. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave a review. If you have a submission, feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.